Hello everybody and welcome to HPR. I'd like to take a few moments of your time here to make a few announcements. First of all, an apology to today's host. I missed his show on the FTP server and as such there was a slight scheduling delay, which is seeing his show come out today instead of uh, late last week. I'd also like to uh, make it clear that we're actually having a HPR booth at 2 of the Linux Fest, upcoming Linux Fest. First of all, on the 2nd of April, we're going to have a booth at the North East GNU Linux Fest. And on the 30th of April to the 1st of May, we'll be having a booth at the Linux Fest Northwest. Um, both of those booths are looking for people to come over and assist, supplying equipment or just coming over to say hello. If you're going to be at those festivals, feel free to snag some interviews for HPR and send them on in. And while I'm taking up some of your time, I've got an email from some of the guys who are putting together a book review, an audiobook review. And the first book, because it contains some spoilers, they'd like the listeners to go and li- listen to the book themselves. And the book is available on audiobook format from polybooks.com forward slash title forward slash badge dash of dash infamy. If you want to uh, join in with the fun and games, uh, go download that book and have a listen to it. And now, back to your sh- regularly scheduled shows. Saludos y saludos. This is Rick Claudio Montalban, brother of Ricardo. If you are like me, you enjoy the finer things in life, like cars, Corinthian leather, and Linux fests. Join Indiana Linux Fest, one of the finest Linux fests, as they begin their march to freedom from the 25th to the 27th. Events include LPIC exam cram class, LPIC and PSDA certification exams, Fedora Activity Day, as well as the second Drupal Camp in the Community Driven Talks, plus performances by Dual Core, Shammers and Left Hand. Keynote speakers include Tarus Baylog of OpenNMS and Bradley M. Kuhn, Executive Director of the Software Freedom Conservancy. They are also still looking for volunteers and sponsors. So, if you are interested, go to indianalinux.org to learn more. That's indianalinux.org. Mm. Now that is what I call fine Corinthian leather. <laughs>
Hello, this is DODD Dummy, and this is my first HPR episode entitled How I Found Linux. I thought this would be a nice, easy topic for me to start with. Um, so here we go. I'll start off by a uh, little explanation of my nickname, DODD Dummy. It comes from the uh, kind of a pun um, of my last name, Dodd, and the mainframe JCL. Uh, syntax dd dummy which is basically the uh, the mainframe equivalent of dev null uh, the bitbucket circular file um, what have you and um, so that's what uh, dodd dummy means funny for mainframers um, so I started oh my computing career um, let's see I didn't really I wasn't in the computers in my younger days not so much because I wasn't interested I just didn't we didn't have the resources and I never for some reason it never occurred to me that I could have a computer at home um, but even uh, just to give you an idea I got my first Atari 2600 in 1980 so I was kinda late to the game there um, for whatever reason we didn't get a Commodore 64 Trash 80 um, any of those computers from that time frame um, and my first real exposure to a computer I guess wasn't until high school and I had a class in I believe it was my junior year of high school maybe my senior year and it was Rascal I believe that was the language but um, basically uh, we were using a form of Pascal, but it wasn't Pascal. Um, that was an interesting class, but I didn't have a computer at home, so I only got to play with as much as I could at school, and I didn't have spare time, you know, just hang around school like I did in some, some years. But um, I made a, a video game that basically two spaceships and you had a very simple obstacle course that you had to maneuver around and the first um, the first ship that maneuvered the course and went to his uh, landing site won and um, at the end I had a sort of a little cutscene that um, I don't remember what but anyway the aliens uh, talked and they were in a garage and a garage door came down but um, anyway, I remember that kind of specifically because my teacher said in front of the class that um, she wished everybody had a imaginative mind like mine. So that was kind of a slightly embarrassing and proud moment, kind of all mixed up uh, together. But then I didn't, um, let's see, that was probably 90, that was probably in 83 or 84. I didn't really have any other computer experience until um, probably nothing to speak. I had a friend who had a computer in the I guess the late 80s um, early 90s probably and I played around a little bit with that but mostly just playing video games and 
um, no real work. Um, I guess in around 90, I don't really remember what year, sometime in the early 90s, we got uh, DBase 4, and together we um, we volunteered to run a chess club's um, basically membership database. We used DBase for that, and the USCF had... Um, you could buy, uh, I don't know if you had to buy it or they gave it to you, but anyway, they had on disk, they had their database. And so we played around with that. And I remember it was, back then, I guess we had a 286 or 386. And their database had about, I want to say somewhere around 60,000 entries. And it was set up to where you couldn't easily, well, no one I knew could figure it out but you couldn't it would take a long time to process that many records and you couldn't just delete records because it had some sort of integrity checking and I remember that was my first hack that I figured out how to um, how to trick it so that um, you could delete records and only have the records that were in your area so that reduced the number of rows I think down to like three or four thousand and it was manageable. Um, I remember the feeling I got when I figured that. I think, if I remember correctly, what I had to do was I took the key that was on the last record of their database and I just copied it over to the key of the last record. That, or maybe I maybe I kept the last record um, and deleted the rest. But anyway, that was kind of my first hack. Um, I still didn't have a computer, and I still only got you know very little computing time um, well I did have in college too I forgot I had a Pascal two-hour Pascal course in college um, that was fun I uh, I don't remember how well I did but I remember that I took a long time spent more time on that class than any of my other classes um, so that was uh, let's see that brings me up to around 19 1997, 1998, I was working uh, on the mainframe, the mainframe programmer, um, and uh, COBOL, mainframe COBOL, and I heard that we were going to start using Unix, um, actually convert over to Unix, um, and around that same time, I heard about um, this free version of Linux or Unix that I could run at home on my PC um, and so I uh, looked around and found uh, at the local library they had Red Hat and so I checked that out and I tried installing it but I never I couldn't get anything to run and uh, but I st still was interested so I kept reading about it and I looked around on the internet um, and uh, I guess it was a few months later but I I came across the Sousa at Best Buy retail box and um, so my main focus wasn't saving money it was being able to have a similar computing environment at home that I had at work so that way I could play around because by that time I'd got my I'd had my first computer um, it was my own and I didn't have to 
you know, it wasn't, wasn't a friend I had to steal from or steal time from. So I bought that retail box. I think it was about 60, 70 bucks. Took it home and I could get most things installed with it. it, it I didn't use, I don't remember if I had X or not, but at work, um, by that time I'd got Unix at work. And at work we only had, it was only command line. Actually, I didn't real, I didn't know it, but we did have CDE available to us. But for no one on my team used it, um, so we were all command line users. Um, so what I'd gotten working from SUSE was the command line, and so I was kind of happy. Um, went through the um, the Unix programming environment uh, by Richie and Kern and Kernahan, and uh, so went through that, and that was great. Um, and then uh, I don't remember exactly how, but someone t told me about X, and then I tried to get it getting. Well, I knew about X, but I knew I couldn't quite get it working, so I was only at the command line. But I don't know for some reason I didn't really realize that it was broken, because like I said, I didn't know that. I don't know how I didn't know, but for a while I didn't realize Unix even had a GUI. Um, so, but anyway, somehow I found out about that and I was so I tried to get X to work and I couldn't get it to work um, and then somewhere in there I got a finally got high-speed internet connection so I took a weekend and I downloaded I want to say about 12 distributions over that weekend um, live CDs mostly or I don't know if they were live CDs but anyway I think it ended up being about 30 25 30 CDs that I downloaded and um, so I tried installing all of those CDs and it was going terrible um, I guess I would four or five distros in and nothing I could really nothing get get anything working that I thought was suitable and finally uh, like I said I guess about halfway through the distros I got the Mandrake and it installed and almost everything worked on it. Um, it had GUI, had you know X up and running and I don't remember if it was KDE or GNOME at that time but um, anyway I had a graphical environment that looked more or less what I was familiar with in the Windows world <coughs> and um, so I was kinda happy. The, um, the only two things I remember that didn't work were my printer which was an HP, I believe, and um, and my uh, joystick um, through the sound card, and that was kind of disturbing. So I still had to go back to Windows. Um, I kept trying, and I I remember it took me about six months to finally both get both of those working. I try pretty much every weekend. And the main thing that was that was messing me up, I think, was the kernel had just switched, and something about how you load the—I don't remember now—but something about how you load the the uh, drivers changed right then. And I was basically get reading old documentation, and I couldn't find. It took me forever. Um, and finally, I found one little paragraph on the site that told me exactly. It was, I remember thinking, man, I'm so stupid. It was pretty easy. I just had to type that in, and things worked fine. Um, so I was going along pretty happily with Mandrake. Um, 
it really was pretty helpful because I got to, to test out a lot of things at home and um, that I really wouldn't have had a time at work to play around with so it got me into when I finally got officially I I had Unix but I wasn't officially my work assignment for 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 a while and then by the time I finally got um, where I was actually working with Unix um, the time I'd spent at home on Linux I was pretty much at home um, I remember the I did a couple of the nice scripts I think one still in use that uh, that place basically they were processing all their air reports air messages manually from their their batch cycle and I just wrote something that stored them and and reported if it was the same air or if it had already been logged in their all oh, their trouble system and but um, I don't know if it's still in use or not but it was as of a couple years ago um, um the uh i guess the interesting question in my mind regarding why people switch to uh switch from one operating system to the other isn't so much the reason you tried it but the reason you stuck with it um so for me there were a couple of things one the at least that stick out of my mind <clears throat> One is I thought the uh, the command line environment was much richer in uh, in Unix than in in DOS. Now I know they're add-ons and they were probably around there around at that time. Um, I uh, for example I know that I run uh, Corn Shell in DOS, um, but it was just built into Linux, so there wasn't any special so that was one reason the other reason was there were just um, there were things that you could do in Linux that just came with the system that you had to buy in Windows or it was hard to find in Windows or you had to get some free copy or pirate or shareware um, just for example um, at the time I I could not figure out how to mount a, a CD image, just an ISO in Windows. Uh, I know there was a, some product I could have bought for 20 bucks, but in Linux it just came with the system. Um, and I think there was, not too long ago I read some way of how to do it in Windows and it supposedly worked way back then, but it was hard. Um, uh, also, um, compilers. It was hard to find um, compilers for Windows that were um, free and open source. Um, free was hard as well, and um, and I don't really have a lot of money to play around with new tools. And so the fact that there were quite a few free in, in Linux was was another reason that I stayed. Um, I also didn't like uh, more and more. I didn't like the some of the things in in Windows. For example, I didn't really like the registry. Um, that that always bothered me. Um, I had to always install stuff, and um, and and Windows was was kind of driving me nuts. I liked the package management system in in Linux. That, I kind of like that method of installing software and kind of have one place to go for for things. Um, 
but yeah I guess that's the main one of the main reasons is um, is that just seem to be some tools that were just part of Linux or very easy to find in Linux that I didn't have in in the Windows world and I don't know if it was I'm sure that was partially my ignorance but uh, I don't think wholly so I'd say that's the main reason that I stuck with Linux is that um, I just had tools that I could use better um, and now I mean it's, at some point in time I just came I liked Linux better and I thought it generally worked better um, but I guess starting off it, it really was mostly I just had tools in Linux that I could use better from uh, from the tech side um, and then I came to also know um, the whole oh, Unix philosophy on sharing and helping people out and collaboration and all of that seems to be more appealing um, in the Linux world than than in Windows um, so that's uh, that's the reason I stuck well I guess that about wraps it up for uh, for this episode on how I found Linux, um, I'd just like to give a, a warm thank you to uh, old Ken Fallon and everyone else who has uh, put in a good effort to keep Hacker Public Radio going. I know I've been listening since, uh, well, I'm pretty sure since day one. I remember, I don't remember who, but I remember some discussion before Hacker Public Radio started. Um, that uh, or maybe right when it started but that they were going to put the show together by the people for the people and everyone can contribute and um, and so I remember thinking man this is great and so I think I've listened to every episode um, I listen even the episodes I don't like I listen to them all. The uh, I guess the only little bit of cheating I do is I listen to it on a on a device that has Rockbox, and I speed up the. Uh, if I don't like the show, I play it on about 150 speed, and then uh, I slow down the pitch to 96. So I listen to it a little bit faster than uh, than normal. But I do listen to every show, and I appreciate uh, all the hard work that that people put in, and um, whether it's talking about chickens or wood screws or how I found Linux, what's in my bag, um, dumpster diving, I find it all interesting and, and uh, I appreciate everybody's work. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.